from Ratterman Studios, this is High Pressure, a podcast where industry leaders discuss common challenges, industry trends, and daily operations surrounding gases and welding. Here's your host, George Ratterman. So welcome to another episode of High Pressure Podcast with Rotterman Manufacturing. This is George Rotterman. And today, I'll tell you what, I don't know what's really for sure going to happen because I was told just to show up for the podcast I host and that two people were going to end up interviewing me today. So I would like to introduce those two people. We have Marie Rotterman and we have Mary Rotterman, both of which work at Rotterman Manufacturing. Uh, Marie Rotterman is in charge of the marketing department and Mary is in charge of the printing department. So from there, I don't really know what for sure is going to be asked of me since I am now going to have two people that have questions that they wanted to interview me with. So off we go. <laughs> yes. Um, hi, everyone. I am Marie Ratterman. And Mary, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, I am Mary Ratterman, also known as Mary Carter. Um, <laughs> and I <laughs> sometimes also Mary O'Day. Um, but anyway, uh, I run our label department and custom imprint. Yes, Mary's married, so that's how the name change happened, but we still call her Mary Ratterman um, <laughs> to avoid confusion there. Um, okay, so George, we were requested to do this episode where we interview you. Um, so Mary and I have our questions, um, but I think to start, we would actually just like to hear how you got into the industry. Yeah, well, you know, I got in the industry like a lot of people do. Uh, you kind of start out in it, not really think you're going to maybe be in the industry, and it kind of grabs a hold of you. Uh, I, you know, I had a very fortunate situation. My dad was with Union Carbide, and he was in charge of, uh, at, you know, he had many different parts of his career, but one of his key parts of his career was coming out with the Lindy Power Supply line. And so we moved to Florence, South Carolina when I was about six or seven years old, and uh, that was where they started building and manufacturing power supply lines. So really at that point in time, Florence is a fairly small remote town. So when people came to visit, you know, Ray Townsend from Tweeko Products and Glenn Pacific, different people invented like the Pinch Arc and all kinds of different folks like that, they usually came to our house for dinner. So, you know, you always heard all the conversations and met people around the country. And then uh, my dad's job was to travel around the country and convince people why they should be buying a Lindy Power Supply versus some of the other key brands. So I, I remember I was fairly young. We used to have in our bathroom a little developing system to be able to Bessler uh, developer, and I used to like, when, before my dad would go on trips, he'd take pictures of the inside of machines to show the difference of how Lindy put their machines together and how other competitive brands did. And I'd be in there with a the little developer making, you know, copies of the photos of the different machines. And then my dad would usually go on a couple week trips. And, and that, you know, I was probably about, I don't know, probably nine or 10 or 11, somewhere that range. And he'd go out for a couple weeks around the country and come back and you'd hear the stories of all the different distributors he visited and all the different, you know, industries and different applications. So it was always very fascinating. And then, uh, you know, you know, jumping ahead uh, years later, I ended up, uh, you know, in San Jose. I, I, before that, actually, we moved to Bakersfield, California, and I ended up working uh, during the summer at Baker's Welding Supply. And I did what a lot of people do when they're younger. You get all the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And so I, I would be painting cylinders. I was, I was uh, in seventh grade, and I was probably not, probably legally, I probably shouldn't have been out there, but I, I was out there, and they let me paint cylinders. And they used to joke, they used to say, well, there's, you know, two gallons of paint, one gallon of paint's put on the cylinders, and one gallon of paint is put on George in the floor. I was not the best painter as far as being neat, but I was very effective at getting lots of cylinders painted. Uh, if you've never been to Bakersfield, Bakersfield can be about 105, 110 degrees in the shade and very dry. 
uh, not a lot of humidity, and I'd be painting with the paintbrush. <clears throat> we didn't have those cool paintbrushes we sell now where they got the they bend around the tank. We'd put a little like four inch paintbrush, and it would get like sticky about the halfway down because it was so hot and and all. Painted a lot of cylinders, um, and then I worked in and I worked uh, kind of worked into being able to work in the little. Uh, uh, they had a repair facility there. They fixed all the torches, a lot of mobile rigs there because the oil industry. So there's a lot of torches and regulators that got repaired. And there's the most fantastic guy, ha- uh, Harvey Holland. And I, I uh, kept telling Harvey, Harvey, I got to get this repair room. I just, I'd be so excited to be able to do the torch repairs, and regulator repairs. So uh, I kind of would go during lunchtime and I would kind of sandblast and do different things to try to get the preps and kind of learn more. Harvey's a, was a, was a really big man he's like six foot eight you know just a really big man strong strong guy and uh so you know very intimidating guy but he had the most gentlest wonderful heart you could ever possibly have in a person um and i i remember i was in there and i finally convinced him okay let me sandblast and do these parts he said okay i got the afternoon off at a meeting i'm going to go ahead and i did man i was going to impress him i i sandblasted the torches you know, I sandblasted the handles, the 315 handles, Victor's, and I did the regulators. I had them all done. I got, I was so proud of myself. I had about 40 pieces sandblasted. I was just had, it was so good. And Harvey came back in and he looked at me, he goes, that's fantastic, George. But where are all the name tags? And I looked at him, I said, name tags. He goes, I said, oh, they're on top of the sandblaster. He goes, but what goes to which name tag? And I was like, oh my gosh, I was devastated. I thought, oh my gosh, I, 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 I this may be my last day also doing, working in here. And Harvey did it such a great job. He ended up saying to me, George, well, you got the tags. Need to start calling some people. So I ended up calling all those customers. It was a great lesson. And uh, he, he never raised his voice or anything else. He just said, you need to call them all, and you're going to need to find out uh, who had what. So uh, I did. I did that. It took me a couple of days, but I ended up getting a hold of all the people and finding out what torch they dropped off or regulator. Learned a lot with that. Also learned that we want on tags to say what is on the, what's supposed to be on the tag. Uh, so, you know, I, I worked there. I, I was able to do some wonderful jobs there that were really difficult jobs to do in one way because they, they, they as a young person, you know, they had another product like Bundy tubes. We used to sell Bundy tubes there, which is used for hard facing. And they would bring those pallets in and I would start, Bundy, you know, wrapping them up. You couldn't use any tape. You had to use string. I do like 100 at a time. I remember I did that for about five days and I was all done. And uh, out came the forklift, taking them all away. I was so happy. I was like, thank gosh, I get to go do some other job. And then here came in the fork with another whole pallet of them and started all over for another week of, uh, you know, putting to get, putting bunny tubes together. So anyways, I did, I did that, worked there, had a lot of great experiences, wonderful people I worked with, really good, good folks. And then I ended up uh, in San Jose. And really, I was in San Jose. I was going to, my, my dream was to be a writer. I really wanted to be a writer. I, I love the bringing, you know, the creativity of that and bringing ideas into fruition. And I, I was very excited about that concept, did a lot of writing. Even in football, I'd usually go home and before I'd do other things, I'd go home and had a ritual of at least an hour and a half to two hours of writing. I do that every night. And um, so then I, I ended up, uh, uh, you know, getting in the business in a sense by the fact that my dad bought a real small distributorship up in San Jose. And I was really making sales calls. I go into college and I was making sales calls back and forth to work. And I made money on the weekends and evenings uh, hauling trash, uh, of all things, you know, hauling trash. And then I uh, ended up, as I was making sales calls, going to college, and, and I'd always help my dad out on the weekends or in the evening. But uh, I just started making sales calls and found out I liked it. And I ended up, you know, having more and more successful making sales calls and learning more about it. And, and I ended up, you know, in the, in the business and really, really, truly enjoying it and very excited about it. Yeah, that's um, 
it's funny now hearing the story of you painting. I understand why in most of our marketing meetings, you always bring up our paint products and you must really love our paint rollers. <laughs> well, I do. I, I do look at those paint rollers with much Very passionate, with much glee, you know, and, and also as you, as you probably know, being that you're my daughters, uh, whenever we've done projects around the house, if we go ahead and we're, we're out in the country, so we're always doing piping projects and uh, pretty much every piece of clothing I have has some level of glue, blue glue or, or the uh, primer on my clothes and usually on my children and, and everybody else or the dog that might be near me, they usually end up with paint or glue on them. Yeah. yeah. If you could give a message to our customers right now, um, being that they're listening as well, what would you like to tell them? Well, I hope they are listening. So that'd be fantastic. <laughs> At first, I want you to listen. Uh, well, I think what I'd want to tell them is that, you know, our company is based on listening to our customer and doing what our customer needs. Every single thing we do, all of our processes are really all geared around a very simple thing. And that's one of the things that makes our company, we all work together very clearly because we have one objective. What do we need to do for the customer? and understand that that's the only reason we are here. And I know everybody hears that stuff, but but it really is the only reason we're here. And if everything's built around that, at the end of the day, we need to take care of our customer in whatever we have to do, whether we have to drive something after hours to UPS to make sure it gets out, whether we, you know, we, we, we truly believe that we have to treat customers with respect, just like guests. A guest comes to your house, what do you do? You're offering a glass of water, what do you need to do to, you know, they're your guest. And that's how we look at, uh, and, all of our customers that they're guests and what we have to do to service that guest to make sure that they have the greatest experience they can possibly have. And we, at the same time, love to have that conversations and have fun with them and get to know them and have relationships because we're in this for the long, long term. And we, we really enjoy the fact that our customers are also long-term customers. Gas distributorships are long-term. They're in it for the long term, just like we are. So I think that that my message would be is that as well as saying thank you so much for all the support they gave us I and mean, you know they 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 give us the opportunity to come up with the next new products the next new opportunities in the industry to be able to bring maybe step change mode change type products and that all comes from their support and buying products from us and then as a family i can tell you as a family as you all you guys know from being <laughs> younger uh it was very clear that there's two people that we we get we absolutely have to respect and appreciate and thank every single day and that is every employee that works at our place Thank you for everything you do, because that's what allows our family to be able to eat. And then our customers, thank you for the fact you buy from us and choose to buy from our manufacturing, because you have a lot of choices, but you choose to buy from our manufacturing, and we thank you for that, because again, our family gets to eat, so thank you so much. And I think that that, to me, is that hand-to-mouth understanding that that is the reality, and we don't have any misunderstanding of the fact where we stand with that, and that our customer is the person that we are there for, and we've got to be thinking of everything we do during a day how will that affect our customer? Not how it's going to affect us, not how it might be a, a disruption to us or maybe take a few more steps, but what we need to do to take care of that customer and put that in place. That would be my, my really clear message. Woo! That was a very clear and wonderful message. Well, good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> it's always good if your daughters yeah. like your message, you know. Um, well, so I had a question in regards to how did you decide um, – to go and start your own business, right? Like where, where was that shift in either thought or motivation? Like what, what made you think like, wow, this is now what I want to do in like the next chapter I want to take? Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that question. It's a great question. Well, I would tell you that, you know, something's happened because they're planned and something's happened because you're, 
faced with situations in front of you and you do what you have to do. So in, in, our, in that particular case, you know, we had had a gas distributorship and that in San Jose and Silicon Valley, and we did a lot of cryogenics, especially gases and all kinds of things. And then, you know, that, that business, we ended up selling that business. And when we sold that business, I was kind of like looking at what things I was going to do. And I was offered a job uh, by, at that time, uh, became Praxair. And my job there was uh, a very fascinating job. There's a point to, to this story is that I, I really, you know, we'd always been in Silicon Valley. And now there's a job that was really, at that time, it was about 32 locations. And then it kind of grew. And then I was promoted to a job, which was really to bring all those locations together from the marketing and distribution. And, uh, and then that kind of grew to a national job and, you know, doing marketing uh, and also, um, on, you know, really focused on hard goods and sales of hard goods. So I was doing that. And then actually your mother got really ill and, you know, fully recovered, as you know, and she got really ill. We had four little children and we live, you know, out there and, and uh, we have four children in five and a half years. So it was kind of like its own, own troop of folks coming by. And so I really had a decision I had to make, which was, uh, I, I still remember, you know, going through that mindset and said, well, the doctor said that it'd probably be, you know, six to 12 months and, and until your mom was get better. And I was traveling all over the country. My job was to kind of like, you know, what should we be doing? What can we be doing and putting that together? And uh, I really decided I couldn't do the, that job justice at the same time, my family justice. So I, I ended up uh, giving my resignation, which they, they were great about. And they understood and yeah. they were very supportive. And then I really, you know, was taking care of you guys and your mom and, and all the things that we needed to do during that time. And then as your mother was getting better, uh, I had a little more free time and I ended up developing some products and, and being focused on that. And then there was that kind of point where uh, when your mom was fully recovered that I was like, what am I going to do now? And, and then that was when I really said, well, gosh, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy the, the ability to interface with distributors. I, I love working with the distributors in the, in the industry. So I ended up starting Rotter Manufacturing and uh, sat down and said, okay, I'm going to write up a business plan and I'm going to start this new business and, and go out there and develop products that bring value to people and, and bring service to people where they, you know, can see, uh, you know, the hopefully ideas and things can bring mode change and things like that. Before we jump further into um, Rotter Manufacturing, I, I've given a lot of thought because I'm now 28. Mary is about to turn 31. And you had, yeah, uh, but you and mom had four kids. And when you started Ratterman, you, which you left, you know, this very comfortable job to start Ratterman basically out of a shed um, of this new home that you had. And um, you were only like, I think like, <laughs> to put it nicely, uh, but I, you were only like 34 at the time. And I just wonder, from your experience working at Garen Welding to Supply to when first starting Ratterman, for people that are listening that are younger, or even for myself, um, because this has come to mind a lot, like, what were the biggest challenges, if you could look back, like, what was your top two challenges during that time that you were able to navigate around? Um, and, yeah. you know? Well, well, the first one is, for anybody that's had children, and uh, working and and especially when you're trying to build a career, anytime you're trying to build a career, it is a full, full-time job. Uh, so the first one was, is getting sleep. That would probably be the, <laughs> the most <laughs> difficult thing. Uh, and, and where to fit the work in, because there's a balance and, and family was very, very important to me. And so the challenge, I think at that time, I would, as you guys probably remember, you know, we joke around about it being, being the shed, but, 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 but above our storage area, I had an office up above here and I would, uh, 
you know, basically I would have you guys up there with me and we'd watch some TV and, and, and I had my desk where I do some paperwork and all that. Then you guys would uh, usually fall asleep to a Disney movie after we did other things. And then I'd carry you back up to the house. And then after that, I'd come back down and be able to do other work, you know, cause we'd be depending on the kind of work I was doing. So I, I you know, I, I, I joke about that, but really getting rest and having balance with a family was probably the most difficult piece because the reality is when you start a business, you are, you, that business owns you and for sure owns you for the first couple of years. It is, it is the number one thing, how to stay in business, how to survive, and what, what do you have to do every single day. Uh, so I think that, that that was probably the biggest challenge. What about in terms of like motivation? I mean, it's already kind of like an inside family joke about reading the different motivational books like The Dip, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When, when do you know to keep pushing through and when do you know to kind of like, okay, maybe this is the time to kind of reevaluate and maybe take a different direction. But in that moment, and, and I get, you know, totally can sympathize wanting the balance with family and being around family and everything. Um, especially now that I have my own and I'm now dealing with that aspect, but how do you, with all those other challenges, what motivated you or what, what propelled you to be like, all right, no, this is, you know, this is the time to push through. Yeah. Or like, what, what did you use? Did you, you know, have people you confided to or, you know, like mentors kind of a thing? Like how, how did you get through, through such a difficult phase on top of having, you know, the family aspect, like wanting to provide, wanting to be there with everybody? Yeah. Well, I could see that my, my book reports, I made all you guys do, and yeah. I give you books and I make you guys do your books had some scarring effects because you're still picking up the book, the dip, but yeah, you know, I think, yeah. I think anytime you, <laughs> so for all the people listening, I would give different books out to folks that I thought that in our family that I thought they should really read and do a little book report on it. And, uh, and then we, but, but, but it worked well because we're all in the same language. We understood what we meant by the dip or any other number of uh, terminologies, you know, and I, 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 I'll tell you, you know, the future is the thing. And if you focus on the future, what can be and what you believe can be, then that is really extremely motivating. And because, you know, we really all have control of what that future is going to be. It can seem like we don't have control, particularly like a time right now in COVID where it seems like everything's happening to us. And it is. But, you know, we still have choices of what we do with our time and how we look at it and how we look at the future. And I just really felt very motivated as I looked at, at the, what the future could be and how to make that future what I felt would be the right design, you know, for our family and for myself, you know, it was, it was, it was things like you guys were at three different schools. So I was purposely, as I was thinking about growing a business, I was very excited about being able to get a location and you know, that was going to be near uh, the three schools. So I picked on a map, a spot between all three schools. So I could get to anybody's school in five minutes and I could get to a school play or somebody forgot their lunch money or whatever it might be, you know, I, you know, I could do that. So I, I think now that's one example, but, I think that really the future is the key, is being motivated about what can we do? What can we change that's not there today, come back? And, and I, I think I'm a big believer of fruition. And, and, and that, you know, it's always that, you know, a lot of people will sometimes say, well, can you really make a change? And then on a day-to-day basis, the change looks small. And, and maybe the, the progress is small. And the learning, you know, learning is painful. You know, I find learning very painful. I'm in pain every day, I think, because I'm, I, I, I also like to learn, but it's very painful. But, you know, when you look in the rearview mirror and you look back, then you go, wow, we did get somewhere. 
You know, we did make some some changes and some some very positive effects. I think the other thing is that you know when you have a family, I, I think you walk the talk, and I think if you want to have people, whether you're people working for you or people in your family, you got to be genuine. You got to be the the real McCoy about it, and you got to walk the talk. You can't just talk about it. You got to you got to do it. So I think that that also is very motivating for me because it was very important to me that my children or people working with me would feel you know they they would see the clear. A goal and direction I was going. Um, so one thing that I love about um, working for you, you know, I'm I, I'm based here in San Francisco city proper, and I have friends that work at a ton of giant tech companies and all like dream jobs, if you will. Um, but then when you get talking with them, their title may seem very big, but they're actually very frustrated in the sense that they're not heard very often and their ideas aren't implemented very often. And something that I think I used to take for granted, but now have come to really appreciate is that if I come to you with a new idea, as long as I'm, you know, backing up why, what those benefits could be and looking at the pros and cons and showing a plan to implement it, and not even as long as, just always, you're always open to hearing ideas from any person at Ratterman and in the company and I, and implementing those ideas as well, which I think is wonderful. Um, and when I look at yourself, you also probably more than I come to you and I'm in the marketing department, you're constantly coming to us with all these new ideas. And we sit here today on a podcast, which is brand new to what we were doing last year or the year before that. Um, you know, you're doing the R bar where you're interviewing people for charities. And I see you do these things, but I also see you run a company 12, 13 hour, 14 hour workdays consistently, plus all these new things that you're doing. And I just wonder, like, to piggyback off of Mary's question, like, how do you, why are you motivated for so many new things when things are working well as they already are? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Well, I think, I think when you're doing new things, you're learning. And I, I really do enjoy learning. And I, I wasn't joking when I said learning is very painful. I find it extremely painful. Uh, I, I always know when I'm learning a lot because it's, it's, it's very painful. I'm always questioning my ability. You know? So uh, I, I think that, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's where it, it comes back to that same thing. You know, it's, it's where it, it can be and where you can go. And I think there's a, for me, I have just a tremendous hunger of, of, of what are the opportunities in the future you can do. So I, I really believe you kind of build a springboard and from that springboard, you got then larger and bigger things that you can accomplish and do. So that for me is, I mean, it ties into my, for me anyways, it ties into my whole motivation because I don't think opportunities in the future, you know, I learned a great thing from my dad, you know, opportunities are only opportunities you're ready for, right? And, and if, you, if you haven't done all the right things ready for the next opportunity, it's not really an opportunity. So it could be an opportunity, something could happen if you were there. But so I, I've really tried to always perform in the sense that I'll be ready for that opportunity, whether it be educating myself or positioning myself. You know, and, and not always am I, you know, and then I watch opportunities maybe go by, but I, I try to strive to, to look at how to make myself, you know, be ready for that next opportunity. And I also, I also think that you have to always think about the other shoe falling. You know, you, you, if, as we all know, if you're in, in business, if you're, if you're just sitting around then you know, you're falling behind because everybody else is moving forward. And it's one of the, one of the things I love about our, our, our culture of the fact that we're all trying to get a little bit better, you know, a little bit better than the day before, you know, the, the entrepreneurship of, of having a little bit better product, a little bit better way we deliver it, bring more value. That, that, that competitiveness is what strives and, and makes our, our country really a fantastic country and has that entrepreneurial spirit. 
Yeah. So what would be your advice then for somebody who's looking to maybe kind of pursue their own, their own path forward in terms of like, whether that's creating their own business. Um, I guess it could be the same for maybe they're just trying to, you know, move, um, within a company, you know, move upwards, but especially for an individual that's looking, um, to start their own business Mm -hmm. or really take that leap. Like what, what would your advice be outside of, because I know like, even for myself, like, especially growing up, typically you kind of just always get the, Oh, well, find something you love, follow that dream. And it's like, that is great. But I feel like there's a lot, (laughs) a lot more that needs to be, be there, you know, in terms of a foundation or, or for that springboard. Um, what, what would your advice be to actually give? Yeah, I'll tell you, I think, you know, from my view, I don't think it's a matter whether you're thinking of trying to start your own company or you're working for somebody else. I, I think that whatever you're doing, I think it's, to me, it all comes down to accountability. If you're doing your job with full accountability, and we always hear that word accountability, but accountability means the excuses don't matter. What do I have to do to get it solved? It may be inconvenient. It may not be comfortable. It may be a lot of hard work. Um, it may be even risk, you know, it may be, be career risk. But I think that it's the accountability to know that you're going to be accountable to yourself. You know, I've sort of felt the same way in football. I'm in a football team. This whole team's going to do great, but I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to do every possible thing that I can do to make us have the best outcome we can have. And so, you know, whether it's my job or not, I mean, whatever I need to do, I'm going to do. And I think that's a carrying thing for people. I think that if people are doing in that mindset, not what they need to do, or is it my job or not my job, but what can I do? So I own it, learn it and understand it. And when that happens, opportunity happens. And that opportunity could be advancements in a company. It could be offered a, a position you might not even thought, you know, and, and I think also with that mindset, you're asking for certain positions because you're willing to earn it. You're willing to put the time in to show it. And I think that that sometimes is something that sometimes people can feel like, wow, I'm putting all this extra effort and energy in something. Is it really going to pay off? But at the end of the day, whether that exact moment somebody's recognizing it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is you're developing and growing and own it. So once you own it, you know how to do it and you've got that skill set, you know, nothing holds you back. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that actually kind of plays into the, the fact that every employee at Ratterman and also growing up, it was always, it's okay to not know something and it's okay to admit when you were wrong. Um, yeah. How does, why, why do you, why do you believe in that so much? Yeah. So I'll give you an analogy, right? You go down to uh, Best Buy, not to beat up on Best Buy or Home Depot or wherever, and you go in and you say, hey, look, I'm looking for this device. You know, I, 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 I'd like to get another one of these routers, whatever it is, and I'm looking for this part. And the person looks at you and says, yeah, I've, I've never seen that here. And you're like, okay, I don't think we carry that. You're like, well, I, I bought one here two weeks ago, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And then you start asking another question. Well, hey, how long have you worked here? And they say, oh, I bet this is my third day. Like, well, on your third day, you probably haven't seen it, you know? <laughs> and, and so I think it's just so much more powerful to get to what we're trying to accomplish, which is to say to somebody in a positive way, not as a discounting, taking accountability, but in a positive way, say, you know, I just started here. I just finished my training. I can see that you, you say you bought this here two weeks ago. We, we should have something. So let me go find the right person that could help me find that part. And and some way to, or maybe it's in another department, you know, let me, let me walk you over your department. Hey, other department, this is what they're trying to solve. I think that when people can just say, 
you know, I, I, I don't know something. It's how you say I don't know something. If you say I don't know something so you don't have to be responsible and you, you're going to walk away from it, that's different. But if you're finding yourself saying, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I got to get the right person to get the right information. Let me ask you the four or five key questions, you know, and by getting the right, right questions, you can usually solve most problems. I mean, you know, what's, what's interesting about a lot, so many things, it's, it's basic principles. <clears throat> and, you know, you can look at a lot of things that can make you successful. If somebody's asking what things make you successful, I can say this. It's all the things you hear, the, all the older, older sayings, right? Walk in somebody else's shoes, have empathy, understand what that's like to walk in somebody else's shoes. I mean, these things mean a lot. They make a, make a big difference. I think there's so many of those kind of basic things that a lot of times, you know, you get the MBAs and all these good things. But, but really, when you look at it, it comes down to the basics, how you treat people, how you handle situations, are you honest, all those kind of things. But I think, I think honesty and, and being genuine with somebody and hunger to learn. You, don't, you know, you, don't, you want to hire somebody because of what they know, but you also want to hire somebody what they're capable of becoming to know and what they're willing to try to learn and aspire to. Okay, so, George. Yes. I would like to ask you, if you could hear a customer speak of Ratterman, what would you want them to be saying? And do you think that's true right now? What do you think Ratterman's doing really well? And what, where do you think Ratterman could improve a little? Yeah, well, a lot, lot in that question, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we for sure always want to have customers. I think if I had a customer talk about our company, you know, we put it in our name. I would like to think they would say we we're very reliable and we do what we say we're going to do. And uh, they, they're comfortable and have the relationship with us that they know we're there for them and we're working to help them in any way we can. Our, our ultimate goal is very customer-focused, not just saying it, but by our actions and how we handle things. So that's what I would hope our customers would be saying. And, and, uh, and then maybe also we're a little bit of fun and they enjoy working with us. As far as, I, I think one of the greatest compliments I had uh, was I was talking to a, a gentleman at a trade show and I ask the question, which I usually do, is, is you know, how, how are we doing for you? And are we, you know, taking care of you like we should be? And his comment was, you know, and I didn't know at first it was a positive comment, but his comment was, you know, George, our company doesn't, we don't hear anything about your company, your name, your, your company doesn't come up in our, our companies when we're having conversation. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound very good that our company doesn't come up. And then he stopped, and he paused. I think he looked at my facial expression. He goes, well, let me just say this. We have people talking all the time about other companies we do business with. Your name doesn't come up. Your company name doesn't come up. But a lot of other people's names come up, and it's not good things they're talking about. And then I realized what his compliment was. And as he left, he said, you know what? It's wonderful dealing with your company because we don't have problems. We just get things the way we're supposed to, and people take care of things. So it's, in his words, a very, very great relationship and how they purchase from us. So I think that was really a, a good point. We all just want things to happen without having to put that extra time into it and, and, and trying to fix something that went wrong. I mean, we do make mistakes like everybody does, but you do everything you can do every day to try to improve that, look for the root issue and, and, and resolve it for the next time, and even try to proactively look ahead to make sure it hopefully never even happens to a customer. So, and the rest of that question, do you think Ratterman is where you want it to be right now? I know you're always looking at improvements, but... Um, Oh, oh my gosh, no. You know, no, we're not. No, there's so many things we could, you know, there's so many things you could do. And, and you know, sometimes they're limited by technology, but there's so many things. And, and very excited about many things we could do. You know, we're, we're very fortunate that we have a, a very centristic 
organization that really understands customers and cares about customers and, and cares about each other. So we have a, a really group, great group of people that allow us to do a lot of things and, and a lot of things we have planned the future to do. Um, I, th- I think we do a very good job because we have some really talented, very, we have a dynamic group of folks. Uh, and I think the, that, that variety of, of all the different folks we have and what strengths they bring, I think that, you know, it makes uh, really a limitless things we could do and, and have been able to do, but we just have more things planned to do. How do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, it kind of makes me, well, I think that's great, but it makes me wonder, like, if we were to bring this all the way back, when you were first putting together your business plan for Raderman in the uh, very, very beginning, what did that look like? And then what yeah. does it look like now in reality? Like, did yeah, you that's a great question. follow, you know, follow that? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I or was it, did it turn into something completely maybe different? Not you know, in a, in a great way, but just something completely different, um, that you couldn't have expected. Well, okay. So, excuse me. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, there's, there's a lot around that, you know, um, I started the business about 20, roughly 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And, you know, when I started the business, I had been in a corporate world before that. And I laid out, I'm telling you what, I laid out a beautiful plan. You know, if I, if I was going to go back to the corporate office for a board meeting and, and all when I was in the, the corporate world, I, I felt very confident that I'd go in with good data, good layouts, and, and really be able to get buy-in to what we're going to do and, and excitement around it. I laid this thing out. It was great. And I went to my uh, upstairs office, and I was so proud of this thing. And then I, all of a sudden, I, I was going through the pages, and I looked at the first page, and I said, man, that, that's a great outline of what we need to have as part of the company. And I'm really bad at that. And so I looked at the next page and I looked at that and I thought, I'm even worse at that part. And, and so I went through all these different segments and job kind of structures we need to have in the business. And I got done after I looked at all these pages and I'm pretty much bad at all these things, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, so I, I said, bye, I better change my business plan because uh, I was by myself at that point. And I thought, but I basically said, I, I got to grow this business somehow with something, come up with enough products that people are interested to buy that I can hire four good people at the things I'm really bad at. And, uh, and I did that. And that was the, that was, that was actually became the business plan. Uh, after all my high flute and fancy stuff that got slid aside. So when you ask the question, you know, did I, I got, I ended up hiring, you know, five fantastic people and, and, and grew the business with some really great talented folks and, and, and have a lot of fun with them. I think that's a really important thing too. We all work really hard, but we also have good sense of humor and know how to have fun and, and really appreciate each other's sense of humor. Uh, so, so that was, that was really kind of the business plan. I will also tell you that's what's interesting is 20 some years later in COVID world, I'm back, you know, in this office uh, that I was started at. And uh, it's, it's, it's and, it, and, and what I also uh, I'll tell you is, the things 20 years ago I was really bad at, I could probably say today I'm still really bad at them. So, you know, uh, so that's become a surreal thing. Uh, and also, I mean, I would like to paint the, the picture of your office of when, when, so you left Garen or, well, I guess it was bought by Prexair at the time. Yourself, mom, who was sick at the time and four kids moved to a house that was, I don't want to say severely underdeveloped, but yeah. uh, it was <laughs> a very <laughs> traditional older ranch home. Yeah, it was. There were six of us. It was two bedrooms, you know, like, like, like one pretty, bath. Pretty much everybody said in 
really politely would say, why did you guys move out here? Right. <laughs> and the weeds were taller than us kids. We have rules of how far we could go into the field because we could get lost. Um, we, for some reason, decided to get sheep because we now had land. Uh, George, you were running your, your, what your office is above what is a barn. And then you're, you, we had a, a shed off of that, which we would make forts in, but that was like your shipping warehouse. And I just think it's so, it's so funny and like wild that now, you know, you've since developed the property and the house, but, um, and the, what we call the barn, but which is your office. But I think it's so wild that you're now working back there. And, uh, yeah. I mean, we had, us kids were, were, I'm sure a handful and you have some pretty funny stories of like the sheep getting out and getting them to your shipping warehouse and trying to ship orders out with all these sheep around you. Yeah. But, I, I, uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No, I just say I, I relived a few of them and you know, it, this, this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it's true. We're on well water. And, uh, so the restroom up here has, uh, you know, the, the toilets and all operate off the well water and, and, our well, you know, years ago, when I was up here 20 some years ago, if our well went out, we, we had no water and I'd have to go to the pool with a bucket of water and fill up the back of the toilet so we could flush the toilet. Right. And so, I'd, you know, in between meetings, you have to go get a bucket of water because we had a couple more people up there as we started out here working. And uh, the other day, our well went out. So here I was going back to the pool, getting a bucket of water. Oh, man. 100 yards away and bringing it down here to, to put it in so I could flush the toilet. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, we had a lot of funny experiences in the beginning days. Yeah. Um, well, I, <laughs> well, I, I, will, I will also say so, but, but you're right. I mean, now, you know, we have a really a, a very nice facility in, in Livermore, a corporate office, and we have a, a, a very large substantial distribution center and, and light manufacturing in Nashville, Tennessee. And we also have a facility in Houston. So uh, it is very different today across the country. And then we of course have salespeople located around the country uh, as well as some other uh, mini micro distributions uh, locations we have. Yeah. Um, and I remember, um, actually I was over at the house a few weeks ago and we got, um, DoorDash delivered and the lady said, Hey, was that barn an office years ago, like 15 years ago or 20 years ago? And we're like, yes, it was. And she was like, Oh yeah, I was a temp agent when, um, that gentleman first started and it was just so bizarre. And, and she's like, this is completely different than how it used to be. But, um, that leads me to my next question. So Ratterman, I mean, Mary and I have grown up with so many people that work at Ratterman. They, a lot of people have just been there since the beginning and they really do love each one of our customers and like sitting in on meetings. There's so much detail and, and knowledge spread throughout the, the company about each customer so that when a customer calls, they're not feeling like they're dealing with a giant corporate company and that it's actually very um, in tune to what they, they want. But um, the employees at Ratterman are so amazing and do take a lot of accountability for every one of their, um, jobs. And it's a very pleasant place to work. Um, I've definitely learned a lot from the people around us working with them, but I think, um, something that isn't really talked about a lot is how much, or I guess, how much work you put into allowing people to be, um, heard and also the weekly, tr the week-long training you do where you fly everyone in from around the country um, and you don't just train people on, you know, business practices, but also bring in speakers that talk about self-development and like personal help. And I think that's, that's really powerful. And I just was curious as to why you think 
um, people having a voice and people being able to express their thoughts and to keep yeah. learning is so important. Well, th- this is my, my, my judgment on it. Okay. Is you go into a meeting and let's say you have a meeting with eight people coming to a meeting or six people coming to a meeting. And as a CEO, you've got a very clear concept of what you think the company needs to do. Now you can go into that meeting and tell everybody what you think the company needs to do, or you can go in that meeting with a picking on model of what you think would be the, the, what you're looking to try to achieve and what you think would be a picking on model to, to do that. Um, for me, what a great meeting is, is I walk out pretty, pretty much clear that I really think this is what we should do and how we should do it. And I walk out and 50% of it's different than what I walked in with. I'm pretty excited about that. That means that, you know, I guess you could say also I had a lot of bad ideas, but I walk in, I'm pretty excited about that because that means everybody in that room is really involved. They're part of it. Their, their brain's engaged with it. They, they feel, uh, you know, they put the time and energy into it with what they think their thoughts are to it and, and also pulled out commitment in the fact that they are committed to what they think those beliefs are. And, and so I think that the strength is getting everybody's different thoughts. We all think we might have the best thought. I think what's difficult is stopping and realizing from, depending on the viewpoint, who different ideas have different, different values and different weighing. Part of my job is to decide and try to weigh those things and make a good decision based on that. But I think that that's, you know, why for me, I think there's that. I think also the fact that, you know, we're all human beings. I mean, we come to work, but we all have families. We all have different issues and different things we're dealing with in life. And it is one wholeness. You know, I'm not, I'm not one to, to necessarily say at work, I'm going to, you know, I expect everybody to work, work really hard. Uh, but I do think you have to have empathy and understanding and, and basic kindness of, of how, you know, uh, people, things that they're working through or working, you know, trying to get done in their lives. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that people, when, when I look at starting the company, I felt that, well, there's a couple of basic principles. You know, one, I really want to come to work. And two, I want to grow, develop, and be a little bit better the next day than I was the day I came to work. And I want to have fun, not by goofing off. I want to have fun by success and, and the, the enthusiasm that comes with really being able to get to that spot, right? You know, it's almost like the good ending of a movie, right? They, they, their team made that last touchdown and won the game or, or, you know, whatever it might be that got that, that, that euphoria that we got there, right? So for me, I think I'm looking for people that want to be part of that. And I tell people that. And when they come to work at our place or I'm talking to them, I said, you're going to work hard. And, and, and if the number one thing is somebody's trying to figure out how to work the least amount, that we're a wrong place to work at. If you want to work at a place that's going to be a long-term, you grow, develop, uh, there's excitement about what the future is going to bring and new opportunities, we're the right place. And we, I, I feel then also at the same time, <clears throat> it should be enjoyable during the workday. I don't like the roller coaster ride. I don't want people being frustrated during the day or backstabbing feelings or, or all the other kind of things. To me, the motivation, the motivation should be is we all see the vision. We're all trying to get to the same vision and we're excited about where we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank, um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast today. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. Broderman is also offering training for our gas distributors at rmimfg.com slash webinars.